There could be some... There's a lot of zombie up there. There's construction going on outside. All right, so you ready to go? Ready to go. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Grounded and Soaring, our podcast that explores how we might raise healthy kids in a too often unhealthy world. I'm Sam Shapiro, head of school at Mary Montessori School, and I'm so excited that Varun Sony, Dean of Religious Life at USC, is joining us today. Hello, Varun. Hey, good to see you. You too. Um, before I share Varun's very impressive bio, I've got to confess, um, he and I are long-term buddies. We went to grad school together many, it seems like a, literally a long time ago now, um, but uh, developed a great friendship uh, in our in our mid-20s and have stayed close since. And uh, so, so excited to see you both as a friend and now as in your professional role, Varun. Well, this is just a continuation of a conversation we've been having for 24 years. So for sure, I'm excited for sure. about this. Yeah. So to introduce Varun, uh, Varun Soni is the Dean of Religious and Spiritual Life at the University of Southern California, where he also served as the inaugural Vice Provost of Campus Wellness and Crisis Intervention. He currently teaches courses in the Dornsif College of Letters, Arts, and Science, the Marshall School of Business, and the Chan Division of Occupational Science and Occupational Therapy. He holds degrees in religion from Tufts University, Harvard University, UC Santa Barbara, and the University of Cape Town, as well as a law degree from UCLA. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for doing this podcast. Um, as a parent, uh, I'll be tuning in too to learn from um, from the podcast and from all your wise guests, and of course from you, as I always do. Well, uh, let's get to the main event, Varun. What would you like to share with parents that are that are on this path right now? You know, our our, our parents, especially at our school, are. From their kids are from 18 months to 15 year 15 years old. But this this podcast will be listened to, you know, far and wide with parents with a variety of ages of kids. What would you say are some of the most important things for parents to think about as they're raising their kids to set them up for a healthy or a healthier path toward college preparation, both in terms of admissions, but also once their kids are actually in college? I see, especially in in my work in independent school education and mostly in affluent communities, especially, there is this kind of freneticness to get our kids set up for successful college admission without, I think, enough thought on what are the what are the core qualities we're helping our kids develop so that once they get to college, wherever they go, they can flourish. Um, because we know our, 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 so many more of our kids, our young folks are really struggling today. Yeah, these are this is great. Thank you for um, having this conversation with me. I, I think about this a lot. This is what I see at USC. I see students who have dreamt their whole lives of coming to USC. Uh, it's literally, you know, what they've done everything for. They walk around campus and it's almost like they're walking around in a brochure for a college. It's like the idyllic school from their dreams. Uh, and they do they move mountains to get here. Um, and uh, they get here and suddenly, pretty quickly, they're not living their dream. They're living a nightmare. They feel like an imposter and uh, they feel like they don't belong. And this is not just a USC. This is across higher education. 65% of college students are so anxious right now that they have trouble functioning. About a third of our students are wrestling with depression or some other kind of mental health challenge. 10% uh, of our students have had thoughts of suicide over the last year and 5% have a plan. And so on a college campus like USC with 50,000 students who are living their dream on this idyllic campus that almost looks like it's right out of a Hollywood movie set, I've got 2,500 students walking around on any beautiful given day who have a suicide plan. And that's what keeps me up at night, you know? Um, 
So, uh, so how is this success, right? This is not what we want for our kids. We don't want to send our kids to university so they can be anxious and depressed and suicidal. We want to send our kids to university so they can thrive and flourish and transform their lives and transform the world. That's what we all want for our kids. And so where's the disconnect between spending so much time, energy, and anxiety getting in the school of your dreams only to have it become the school of your nightmares? I think it's because all we focus on is getting into the university, like you said. That's the goal. Uh, we have a $25 billion industry focused entirely on getting into college. The college preparatory industry is how do you get in? There isn't a single entity out there actually preparing kids for how do you thrive when you get to college? And so what I would say to college-bound um, um, kids and their parents is, and this is flies, this is counterintuitive, there is no right decision for college. There is no inherently right decision. Students and their parents get very anxious about if I don't go to school X, I can't do Y, I can't do Z. That's just not true. Um, and what happens is it disempowers students from feeling as though they have agency in their own life. If I get into USC, I have the perfect life. If I don't get into USC, I don't have, I, I can never have a, a, a good life. Like that's the kind of mindset going in. And so there's insane pressure on something that really doesn't have that kind of um, utility. It, it's not the case that one college will make you and another college will break you. When we say that there's only one decision or a right decision for college, what we're telling our students is that you actually don't have any free will in making any decision your right decision. And so what I want to tell students and their parents is that any decision can be the right decision and any decision can be the wrong decision. All depends on the student. You and I, Sammy, have seen this. You know, we we were at Harvard. It wasn't the right decision for a lot of those students, even though for every student in Harvard, it's their dream. Um, they might have been better off at another school or they might have been better off with a different mindset. And so where we have power in is in making the decision the right decision. If your kid goes to SC, then it's up to your kid to make that decision the right decision. If they go to uh, if they don't go to USC, well, it's still up to your kid to make wherever they go the right decision. And the only thing that's constant across any school they go to is the fact that they're at that school. So what's constant isn't the school, it's them. And so if they feel empowered to make any decision, the right decision in their life by their mindset, by their effort, by their perspective, by their gratitude, by their meaning making skills and their community building skills, then they'll be empowered no matter where they are. They'll have the ability to generate their own and manifest their own future internally, as opposed to outsourcing it to, I have to have the right school, I have to have the right job, I have to have the right spouse without any sense of one's own agency in making that the right school, the right job, the right spouse. So I would say the idea of getting it right is the barrier to getting it right. And um, uh, what we should be telling students is anywhere you go, it's going to be great if you make it great. And how do we empower you to make anything great? Those are the skills I think we should be instilling in. Can I, yeah, this is, this is fantastic. Can, can I ask you to double click on that, which is, so you're raising your youngest is just a less than a year, right? And Tenzin yeah. how old now? Eight years old. Eight years. Okay. What are the, what are you as a parent thinking about um, developing in them so they can make every decision, the right decision? What is, let's move down to like maybe the, what what should we as parents be be doing to build that agency and that worldview uh, and that mindset? I think part of it is um, it, it, it's some age empowering them to have their own definitions of success. For our students, I mean, my kids are a little younger, but I know for high school kids, like so much of success is what other people tell you it is. 
and your idea of whether you're not or you're successful is based on other people's metrics of that success. So what's success in high school? It's getting good scores, getting good grades, and putting together a good college uh, application. You may not actually feel like that's your version of success. That's the version of success that everyone has built for you. Now you have to jump through those hoops, right? But those can't be the only hoops that you jump through. What I want for our students to do is to think about the hoops that make their life successful. Why can't, why can't finding joy be a kind of success? Why can't having a friend be a kind of success? Why can't even failing at something be success, a, a success if you learn from it? And so um, I think at a young age, what I've tried to do is like, I don't want my kid to play piano to get into college. I want my kid to play piano because that brings her joy. You know, and so I, I would just try to focus on joy. Honestly, I would try to over index joy for kids so that they feel as though what brings them joy is a kind of success. And even if they're not able to, even if they don't feel successful based on the metrics of everyone else, the world around them, putting them in sort of the grades and tests sort of paradigm, uh, they should feel successful according to their own paradigm uh, of success, which then allows them to um, define success for themselves. When we're getting kids into college, we we compare them on the same set of metrics. It, you're, you're doing the same tests as everyone, but you did better. You have the same uh, classes as everyone, but you did better. You have the same you know, sports team as everyone, but you did better. You have the same instrument as everyone, but you did better. But what actually makes students feel like they're thriving and flourishing is what makes them different. When they get out of college, it's not how they're the same as everyone else that's their biggest skill set or value add, it's how they're different. And so if they have things that are unique about them, if they love scuba diving and they love hip hop, well, they can bring that together in a way that no one else can bring it together. And they have joy in a way that no one else has joy in it. And if they're joyful and if they're experts, then they'll make money. But I think that we reverse engineer the thing, which is like, what do you want to, how do you make money? And then how do we get there? Mm -hmm. That's why we have uh, universities that are no longer focused on the liberal arts, but on pre-professionalism. That's why 40% of USC students are finance majors. I don't think 40% of USC students dream about finance growing up. But what I say to students and what I would say even at a young age is don't put the money first, put the joy first. And if you love something, you'll be good at it. And if you're good at it, it'll bring you meaning. And if it brings you meaning, you're going to continue doing it. And if you continue doing it, you're going to make money at it as opposed to what will make me money and then reverse engineer it, what will bring me joy and then play it forward. And so I would empower kids at a young age to define success for themselves, to lean into the things that make them different, to focus on joy and to take all that other comparative stuff with a grain of salt. Quite frankly, a lot of the people we admired didn't go to the schools that we think we need to go to. Uh, they went, a lot of them didn't even go to school. And so there are a lot of different ways to get to where you wanna be. One of the things that I keep coming back to is, and we started with it, which is the, the tension that we parents feel between what we may believe in our hearts we want for our kids, and then we get caught up in the social milieu of our contemporaries and how they're parenting and we think we're doing something wrong. What would you suggest for parents? Because really we we have to role model this, right? It's very easy to say to a, to a kid, like, you know, grades don't matter. And what really matters is your effort. But when a B minus comes home or a C or, you know, comes home, we flip out. And so, and, we, and, and of course we want to be intellectually honest with kids too, around practical skills for being independent in the world. As parents, what do we need to watch out for? Because I can say, I'm going to over-index joy, which I totally agree. I mean, I think the Howard Thurman quote I love about, you know, don't ask what the world needs, but ask you what, ask what makes you come alive 
and then do that. Um, and in moments of stress, I might not, I might contradict that. So what are, to my kids in terms of my message, what do I need as a parent? What do we need to be role modeling? That's the second question is that I'm curious about is who are some models, obviously not sort of using names, but in your minds of USC students that you've seen who really flourish and, and what were their qualities? So I think like for modeling, I, I don't think it's just, okay, you, you know, um, pay your fees, get your B's kind of thing. I think we should inspire our students to excellence in whatever that might mean. And sometimes kids need to be pushed to achievement and that kind of achievement can be infectious. And, you know, we don't want to, you know, be so um, laid back. I think with as parents that we don't challenge our kids to accomplish things that they think they can't accomplish or to show them that they can do more than they think they can do. I think all of our kids can do more than they think they can do. So we want to inspire that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but how do we do it in a way that brings joy and not anxiety? I think that's kind of the challenge. And so um, uh, part of it is what do you learn from the B minus? Like, it's not just, did you get a B minus and that's terrible and you'll never achieve anything. And now you're not going to get in the right school. But okay, you got to be minus. Let's let's think about why you got to be minus. So I think you can make it something that hopefully is an opportunity to grow deeper in resilience and in achievement and in excellence, but not an opportunity that makes people feel bad or anxious or scapegoated. Because then essentially what you have is education becomes the point of stress and not the point of inspiration. And at some point, kids are just gaming the system to try and get the grade. That's what I have 150 kids in my one of my classes. And I try to de-emphasize the grade because I believe what Mark Twain said, that school can get in the way of your education. And at this point in their life, after being in 100 classes where they got 100 grades, they're really good at playing the grade game. That's why they're at SE. They're really good at that game. Mm -hmm. But that game is overrated. Like, I don't care to play that game with my students. I want them to meet someone and learn something. You know, the grade game is at this point, you know, just that it's just a game. And so um, I, I do think that when we focus less on the grades and more on the knowledge, the application, the transformation, the achievement, the getting better, the incremental gains, then we can actually have education be a thing which brings people joy and not anxiety. And my sense is really what we want for our kids is for them to be lifelong learners, not just to get credentialed or to get certified, but to be curious uh, human beings who are constantly evolving, growing, learning, and bringing those skills into the world. And so if learning becomes a joyful act, as opposed to an anxiety producing one, then we will have lifelong learners. Um, and so I think they're just ways in which we message, um, you know, judgment about what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, an A is good, a B is bad. Actually, maybe the, you know, I I got a D in high school and that inspired me to get, become much better. That D was the most important grade I ever got. Uh, in my defense, it was a D plus actually, but it was the most important <laughs> grade I ever got. And, um, and it didn't diminish my ability to go out and be a professor or get other degrees or any of the things that my parents thought it would. Um, in fact, the thing that they thought was, worked against me having bad grades was the thing that actually worked for me because I showed how much I could improve. I showed that I learned something from this and I became a lifelong academic, even though I had bad grades in high school, which no one could have probably uh, anticipated. And so um, my sense is that it's really, a, we as parents have to be careful about how we put judge, how we judge things, good, bad, right, wrong, 
the the right school, the the right grade, the right this, the right that. Um, you know, uh, from a spiritual perspective, it's the judgment that causes us the suffering sometimes more than the reality. The D doesn't cause me the suffering if I see that as an opportunity to get better, but the D causes me the suffering if all I see is that I'll never get better and I'll never amount to anything. It's really, I'm sure, you know, Carol Dweck's work at Stanford on growth mindset. Yeah. Um, that is all about it. And and actually, I just, um, Jessica Lay, who wrote, who wrote The Gift of Failure, I just had an interview with her. She said this same thing, which is the way we, we, we don't become hypocrites as parents is that we respond to a disappointing result our kid brings with a, a learning question you know how, how did the, how did this occur and what would you want to do differently the other thing i was thinking about as you're talking about your usc students who are so good at getting excellent grades is um denise pope professor of ed at stanford she wrote a book called doing school uh, and that title is i think just perfect right about yeah. really palo alto era uh, high school kids. And, and, and at some point they are just doing school as opposed to, you know, I love that, that phrase over indexing joy, what brings you joy? And I think about, you know, when I notice the kids here is like, sometimes kids get really into things like trains or lizards or birds of prey. These are little kids that we work with uh, on this campus that, that where my office is. And I love it when parents and teachers get super excited about that. And they're like, great, let's go to the zoo and let's go show you some more lizards. And, you know, are they going to become experts in reptiles as, as their professor, as their professions? Probably not. That'll probably change. But we're giving that experience of affirming their joy they find in study. Yep. That's it right there. And I think that's that's the more important thing, because then they bring that to the university. What's the what's the best way to combat the anxiety and loneliness on college campus is to come in with a laser focus on joy and possibility and being resilient and making friends and um, making it the right decision, as opposed to coming in with the idea that I don't belong here. Everyone's figured it out. But me at the end of the day, comparison is the death of joy. Whether we compare our kids to other kids or ourselves to other people, that's partly why 70% of students on college campuses feel like imposters because they're raised in a social media environment where they feel like everyone's figured it out but them. Everyone got the grade but me. Everyone's at the party but me. Everyone got the job but me. Every Meanwhile, they're on a campus with a 9% acceptance rate, nine, and they still feel like they're imposters somehow, even though they've done everything right. And so they feel like they've been sold a, a raw bill of goods by the time they do everything right, get every right score, get every right test, get every right college admission, they still feel empty inside. Well, it's because we haven't empowered them to define success for themselves. They've jumped through the hoops of our sort of fairly myopic, I think, perspectives of success. And um, and it has left them unsatisfied. And then they're like, well, if I've done everything I'm supposed to, and if I'm still not feeling like I flourished, then it's me. I'm doing something wrong. I'm deficient. I'm not worthy. I'm this. I'm that. And as opposed to actually, it's not you. It's the idea that you were sold. Right. And we as parents and as a society, as professors, have to take some responsibility for that idea that we sold them. The most important thing in all this to me in terms of raising children uh, and young adults is for them to be purpose driven. The bigger the more interesting question now is where do we get purpose when oh. most of our students aren't religious, uh, when historically a purpose driven life came from religion. And I think we're in a transitionary period where kids are being raised without religion, but with social media. And we're seeing, and that's partly why we're having unprecedented mental, spiritual, emotional health crises right now, um, because we're in this transition where we've taken away 
protective factors of meaning making and community building that have come from religion historically and replace them with social media, which is designed to keep people outraged, anxious, and upset. Mm. And then we wonder, well, what's going on? (laughs) We're guinea pigging our kids on technology that no one's ever used before. We're speaking with our, we spoke with our tongues. Our kids are speaking with their thumbs. They're communicating and they're in community in ways that we've never seen in a hundred thousand years. And and then we wonder like what's going on, you know, or we tell students they have to do all these things in order to be successful. And then we recruit the most stressed out students in the country. And then we put them in the pressure cooker of the modern research university, and then they break. And then we wonder what what's going on. The reality is that we're inheriting students who are already stressed out, who are already anxious, who are already depressed. That's starting earlier and earlier. That's not just a college thing. It might've been when I started my career, not anymore. Any thoughts for parents or even just how you're raising your kids? I, I think you maybe already answered it, which is we can find, we can help our children have a sense of purpose by supporting their, what brings them joy. So for your daughter, yeah. and if she's not into piano, yeah. then that's not what she's going to necessarily do. Yeah. Is that the key is like just watching what makes them come alive and then really supporting that? Well, here's here's what the data tells us. The book that's the most important for me as a parent is The Spiritual Child by Lisa Miller. She's a friend of mine out of Columbia University. And she cites a study there that blew my mind, which is that if you have an intergenerational spiritual experience growing up, that means if you go to traditionally, if you go to like church or synagogue or masjid or gurdwara or temple with your parents or grandparents growing up, then you are 80% less likely to experience depression as a young adult. And so at an age where 51% of our students were not raised with religion compared to 5% of their grandparents, like this is a massive generational shift. The biggest story in American religion right now is the incredible rise of those who are not affiliated. We're never going to go back to a predominantly religious society. Um, So in this this kind of environment where um, we have record high levels of anxiety and depression and also record high levels of students raised without religion, Well, I see the causality there. Correlation doesn't always equal causality, but I see it in the work that I do. And so then the question becomes, how do we build protective factors that religion has historically provided for students without actually calling it religion? Um, I think that, you know, religion provides meaning, purpose, community, transcendence, ritual, joy, and intergenerational transmission of wisdom. Where else can we find that? We can find that in sports. We can find that in other kinds of service organizations. Sometimes we can find that in popular culture. So I would tell students, parents, et cetera, lean in on that. Think about soccer as a spiritual community. Think about the Marvel universe as a new mythology for a new generation talking about values and ethics. Think about Harry Potter as a sacred text, right? Why not? We need something to believe in. We need something sacred in our lives. If it's not going to be traditional religion, it has to be something new. And we're we're at a point where we're recreating that something new. You know, I helped start an organization with a dear friend of mine called The Religion of Sports. It's a media production company. And the conceit is that organized sports are the new organized religion. And what people normally got from religion, they're now getting from sports. And so let's own that. And now let's think about sports as a spiritual community of meaning, making ritual, pilgrimage, of miracles, of agony, ecstasy, you know, heroes and fallen angels, all that stuff. Uh, that we find in religion, we can find on the sports field. And I see that at USC, like the real religion at USC is the religion of Troy, which plays out on the football field. You know, it's not just a joke. That's the reality. That's where we see the intergenerational transmission of wisdom, values, ritual, storytelling, etc. And so it doesn't have to be religion, but it has to do the things that religion has done. And so how do we build something 
new. It's not enough to walk away from the primary community building, meaning making enterprise of human life, which is religion, and not replace that with anything else. I know for for um, Kotsura and I for for our kids, helping them develop our kids develop a connection to nature has been really important. There it is. Just be intentional about it. Think yeah. about nature as a spiritual practice. Think about the earth as a sacred place that we have a responsibility for. Think yeah. about the universe as the thing that's bigger than ourselves. Think about how we're all interconnected in nature. That's religion, but we don't have to call it religion. You don't need to, God to have religion. You don't need any of the things that you might have pushed back on. And, and listen, students are distrustful of religion for good reason, because sure. in their lifetime, they see religion as a force that is patriarchal, casteist, that is terroristic, that oppresses LGBTQ people, that's misogynistic. Fine, religion has deserved all of that. But what are you replacing it with? Cool. So who's flourishing at USC? Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to be the chief wellness officer here. I basically built a lot of the wellness structures here. I've thought a lot about this and I wish I had a better answer. But mm. my answer is whoever thinks they're flourishing is flourishing and whoever thinks they're not is not. Then mm. a day, wellness, well-being, thriving, flourishing. These are self-reported indexes. If you feel it, you know, it's like Bob Marley says, who feels it knows it. If you feel it, you're feeling it. That's it. It's a subjective experience of the world. You know, we have metrics around flourishing. We have metrics around wellness, but at the end of the day, you could hit every one of those metrics and feel like you're not flourishing. Then you're not. That's your reality. And if you feel like you are, then you are, regardless of what's going on in your life. You could have a, a set of facts that anyone else would think are terrible, but you feel like you're flourishing, then you're flourishing. And so this gets back into the growth mindset or the true north mindset or the flourishing mindset that we create our own reality by the way we see the world. And um, instead of just telling students how they can change the world around them, we need to focus on telling students how we can change the world within them. Because real power is happening in our own hearts and minds. That's where we have power. We don't have power over everything that happens in the world. We don't have power over who gets elected, over you know some of the major issues of our time. We're you know climate change, income inequality. These are huge problems that, as individuals, we could feel disempowered in addressing. But we have power over the things that make us feel like we're thriving and flourishing. We have power in terms of who we hang out with. Um, how how much love we cultivate in our life, how adventurous we are, how many books we read, how many times we say I love you to people we love, how grateful we are, how 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 much awe we have in our life, how we exercise, how we eat, how we sleep. These are the things that make us feel like we're flourishing. We have total power over those things. And so I want our students to feel like on the things that are really important in their life, they have total power. And they should never give that power up to anyone. They should never hang hand over their spiritual, emotional core to anyone else. That is their sacred center, right? They shouldn't just hand that over to the haters of the world. They should keep that for themselves. Uh, but the real question is, how do you transform yourself in order to transform the world? So before we close, we have this opportunity to speak to lots and lots of parents. Um, anything you either want to repeat, reemphasize, or say in a different way, or, or a whole new point around what you'd like parents to consider in terms of raising kids in a way that is really a healthier approach to college preparation. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go a little dark here. Um, one of the really, the most difficult part of my job is student death. And at a university as big as USC, we have students who die every semester. And I've probably done more student memorials than anyone in the country for college students over the last 15 years. And unfortunately, every week or every month, I've parents in my office who are 
devastated because their students are no longer with them. And I actually feel guilty now as a parent to be able to go home and be with my kids when these parents who are in my office crying can't do the same. And it, what occurs to me is that with these parents, none of this stuff mattered. Like at that point, it didn't matter if their kid got a B minus in third grade. It didn't matter what school their kid went to. It didn't even matter like what their career choice or major was. None of it mattered. No parent is in my office crying about that stuff. All they want is more time. All they want is another chance. All they want is to hug their kid. Let's focus on the things that matter. Please, let's focus on the things that matter. Let's have a universal perspective, not just a short-term sort of conventional perspective. Yes, of course, it's important that our kids thrive and flourish and go to good schools and are equipped to live their dreams. But in a universal perspective, our time is very limited with our kids. And, you know, if for parents who are no longer able to spend that time with their kids, they don't care about the things that we often care about. And we shouldn't care about those things as much as we do, knowing that our time is limited. And so we can learn um, from an ultimate perspective that at the end of the day, the time you spend with your kid is your great gift in life. And we can't take it for granted. COVID taught us that too. We cannot take this for granted. And when we feel like everything's going wrong in the short term, let's just take a breath and just be grateful about the universal perspective of the fact that we have this magic time with our kids. And at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Thank you, brother. Uh, I'll take the cue from you. Love you, man. All right, brother. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yep. See you soon. All right.